Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. All right, well this morning we are continuing in a series that we're simply calling Jesus Never said that. I fear that we're guilty of putting words in the mouth of Jesus, or sometimes we we say things that aren't far from the truth. There's a bit of truth in them, but we simply mold them to fit our situation or our circumstance in that moment. So in the course of this series, for about seven weeks, we're taking some time to look at some of those statements. What are some of those things that we oftentimes say or even oftentimes Think, and we say, well, that must be the words of Jesus, but realistically, it simply was not. Misquote number four, as we're in week four of this series, simply says this, you don't need to do anything but attend church. As a Christian, in order to go to heaven, there's nothing you really need to do besides go to church. And, and honestly, Man, there's some difficulty in that because going to heaven really has nothing to do with church, but building in our relationship with Christ and and learning from one another has everything to do with going to church. A a relationship with him all starts with saying, Lord, forgive me and come into my heart and into my life. But is that all that we need to do is is surrender to him in a moment, in, in an instant, at an altar or wherever it may be and say, Lord, forgive me and come in. Is that all we need to do? And from there on out, we just come in and sit in a seat and look pretty. Negative Ghost Rider. You don't need to do anything but attend church. It's so easy to come in week in and week out and never feel the need to serve. Never really connect, but simply to come in and enjoy a service and and leave and go grab lunch and do it all again the next week. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love each and every one of you, and I love having you here. I love having you part of what God is doing here at Bethel Assembly, but I, as your pastor, would be doing you a a misservice, a disservice, if I didn't share with you the truth of God's Word. You see, Jesus didn't say that all you need to do is come to church and nothing else. It's easy for us to to go about life looking out for ourselves and never really venture into helping those around us. See, if I was to ask you this question this morning, what kind of response would you come up with? The question is this. Give me the simplest definition of a Christian that you can think of. Some would say, well, I guess the simplest definition is someone that goes to church every single Sunday. Others might say, well, the definition of a a Christian is somebody that prays every day. The definition of a Christian is someone, well, fill in the blank. What does that look like? Here's what I've discovered. The, The simplest definition of a Christian is a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ. In fact, the word Christian simply means little Christ. Originally, it was a derogatory term. 
Oh, there goes a little Christ. But I don't know about you, but I want to be known as a little Christ. Someone that resembles and, and does and says and acts and responds like the one I'm following. The simplest definition of a Christian is simply a follower of Christ. So what does that mean? Does that mean I just come to church every Sunday and I read my Bible? I pray from time to time? Is that all that I really need to do? Well, I believe that's part of it. But look at what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 15. This is our text for this morning. Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. I've given you an example to follow. Now do as I have done. We're going to talk about what is that that he did and what is it that we're supposed to do in response you see, there are several examples in the Bible of when the disciples were battling over who was the greatest. Anybody else have people in your life that you battle over who can be the greatest? Maybe you're very competitive. Any competitive people in the house? You're always trying to, to achieve the greatest, always trying to move forward. Well, that's kind of where the disciples were. Always wanting to be the greatest. Yet, in the last hours of his life here on earth, Jesus takes the time to address this very personal uh, conversation that the disciples are having. But here's the problem. A, a life of humility is not one that was greatly demonstrated in the culture of Jesus' day. The, the Romans had no use for humility, and the Greeks despised manual labor. So the idea of doing manual labor to serve someone else was far beyond their thinking. Even in today's culture, society would most likely ask you this question, well, how many people work for you? How many people are you in charge of? But Jesus says just the opposite. He says, how many people are you willing to serve? How often are you willing to take upon the role of the, the servant and, and meet the needs of, of those around you? In this particular situation, Jesus and the disciples had gathered together with which Jesus knew was going to be the last meal that they had together. In the midst of this dinner, the, the Last Supper, Jesus stands up from the table. He, he walks over, takes off his outer garment, puts a towel around his waist, picks up a basin of water, and one by one he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, there were some in the room that were saying, Lord, you can never wash my feet. What are you doing? I, I can hear, I can imagine in my mind the murmuring that was going on in that room. And one guy looks at the other and says, John, wasn't it your turn to find the servant to wash the feet? And John says, no, it was Peter's opportunity. This was his time. I did it last time. And one by one, they were passing the blame onto someone else because Jesus He's the one they're learning from, and he's washing our feet?
See, as they walked along the dirt roads, their feet would become covered with dirt and dust and, and anything else that happened to be upon the road. Today, even though we have nice roads and we have sidewalks and quality shoes, the idea of touching someone else's feet doesn't sound like a lot of fun. I remember when my wife and I first met, I think we'd only met like three days prior. This was like our Resurrection Sunday or something. Three days prior we had met and she came to church with me on a Sunday night and my church that night decided to have a foot washing. She married me anyway. Hallelujah. The idea of touching someone else's feet. Now, how many of you would like for me to say, okay, right now what I want you to do is take off your right shoe, swing your right leg over to the person beside you, and begin to massage that foot. How many of you would be like, yeah, pastor, I'm all about that? No, that's gross. No one wants to touch your feet. But Jesus, in this moment, he begins one by one washing the disciples' feet. You see, in Jesus' day, foot washing was common, but it was a job that was given to the lowest member of the household. Jews usually didn't take up on the task themselves. Even Jewish servants weren't asked to clean people's feet. Instead, it was common to have the Gentile servant perform this duty as someone entered the house. But now in this moment, Jesus, our Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, takes off his outer garment, puts a towel around his waist, picks up a basin of water, and begins to do what is reserved for the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of servants. And then he follows up with this statement. Now that you have seen me do this, go and do likewise. Now, I don't think that Jesus was saying, guys, I've got a great plan for you. We've got to figure out how to do some fundraising because every church does fundraising. So what I want to do, let's open up a foot washing shop. No, he was saying, I want you to begin... To serve. Jesus does not just demonstrate the act of servanthood, but it goes a little further. Two verses later, he says that there's a result, a, a cause and effect when you take a moment and grab a hold of the heart of a servant, when you begin to, to follow after the model that Jesus set in motion, when you begin to reach and invest into the heart and the life of someone around you, by the way, our mission is to love, reach, and empower people. Guess what? That's servanthood. When you grab a hold of the heartbeat of Jesus, when you realize that this universe doesn't revolve around you, but you are here set in motion to serve those around you, when you grab a hold of that, there's a cause and effect that happens. In John 13, verse 17, it says this, 
Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You see, it's not enough just to know. It's not enough just to have the knowledge. I can have all sorts of knowledge that I want, but until I apply that knowledge, it's going to do me absolutely no good. I know that eating too much chocolate is going to make me swell. But unless I decide not to eat all that chocolate, are you following here? Jesus says, now that you know these things, guys, you've just watched me serve you. You've just seen me take on the role of the lowest of servants. You've just seen me do what someone in my position should never do according to our culture. Now that you've seen these things, now that you understand these things, God will bless you for doing them. God will bless you for humbling yourself before others and truly beginning to serve. Could it be, could it be that what God has in store for you is to be a blessing to someone around you? Could it be that God wants to bless you in response for blessing someone else? You see, Jesus never said all we need to do is show up. But he showed us the example. He modeled servanthood for us. And he says, now that you've seen them, go and do likewise. And now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So if Jesus didn't say we should just recline back and coast, then what are we to do? We're to follow what he says. Even when that job is undesirable, even when the job is something we don't necessarily like, God will bless us in return for putting others first. Very quickly, let me give you some facts regarding servanthood. Number one is this. Servanthood is not always easy. It's not. Sometimes servanthood just stinks. It's not always easy. It's not always the task that you want to take on. It's not always a thing that you want to do. But Jesus says, God's going to bless you. Jesus says, now that you've seen me do these things, I want you likewise to do the same that I have done. The second thing that I see, the second truth that I see is this. Servanthood is not always instantly rewarding. Our guys in the AV and sound booth, they know this firsthand. I'll tell you what, on a Sunday morning, that's the hardest job in the house. Because no one knows they're back there until they forget to change that slide. No one knows they're there until we hear that squeal or that microphone isn't on. Then suddenly every head in the house goes. <laughs> Servanthood is not always instantly rewarding. I believe that sound men and AV techs that one day when they get to heaven, they're going to have a jewel in their crown the shape of a Mac computer or a soundboard. 
It's not always instantly rewarding. Number three, servanthood is not, all, not just for a particular age group. Man, I can't tell you how many times over the last 22 years of ministry that I've had people say this. One of two things, either, well, I'm, I'm just too old now to serve. I'm going to let the younger generation do it. We hear that way too often. But can I just tell you, the Bible says that, that you are to be the role model for the next generation. You're demonstrating to this next generation what it means to be a child of the Most High God. You're showing them what it means to be a servant of God. Can I just tell you, we never retire from being a Christian. I also see people say this, well, I'm just too young. One of these days, I'll begin to serve. Man, Jesus embraced children. He said, let the children come to me. No matter how young you are, young adult, teenager, young person, however, you, however old you are, God still wants to use you. There is a place for you. There's a purpose for you. God has a plan for your life. The fourth fact that I found is this. Servanthood is a lifestyle for the Christian. Look at that. It's a lifestyle for the Christian. It's not just something we do on a Sunday morning. Well, no response there. It's not just something you do once a month because if you fall on the schedule the first Sunday of every month and that's your turn to rock the babies in the nursery. But for the Christian, you see, Jesus said, now that you've seen me do these things, go and do likewise. He's not saying, go and do this next Sunday morning. Get yourself on the schedule for once every six weeks. It'll be awesome. No, what he's saying is, go out and daily live the life of a servant. You know that neighbor of yours that's difficult to get along with? Why not begin to invest in them? How about that, that, that co-worker that you see every single day and you run into one another at the water cooler, at the coffee pot or wherever it happens to be? And, and What about that person? You know they're going through a hard time right now. Why not show them the love of God? Why not begin to serve them? What about the person that you see at Walmart that greets you every time you go in? Hi, welcome. Hi, welcome. That's about all they say to you. Why not stop and, and share about Jesus with them? What about that, that road crosser that, that, that helps the children when the bus is coming? The traffic guard or whatever they're called? Why not take them a cup of coffee when it's cold out to be a blessing to them? See, Jesus said, God will bless you for doing what you know that you are already called to do. Servanthood is not always easy. It's not always instantly rewarding. It's not just for a particular age group. And it's a lifestyle for every single person that calls themselves a Christian. Matthew chapter 20 says this, Whoever wants to be a leader among you, one translation says, whoever wants to be great must be your servants. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave, must become last. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. If you want to achieve greatness, the greatest way to achieve greatness is to become a servant of all. To begin to take upon the position that Christ took on and begin to serve those around you. So this morning, for the next few moments, I want to talk with you about servanthood. And I find it funny that God has laid this on my heart, and I put this message together a week ago, and I was kind of preparing, and it was right in the middle of me working on this message that some of our young adults came up to me, and they said, so pastor, we got this thing that we're thinking maybe, maybe we want to do, and hopefully I'm not like opening this up, and you guys haven't shared this with the rest of your young adults, but here we go. They said, we... we we really feel that, that we're supposed to do more than just meet together for a life group as young adults. I really feel that we're supposed to have some sort of task force that's servants for the kingdom of God. And I was like, make it happen. Do it. Why? Because that's the heartbeat of Jesus. To love the unlovable, to reach those that are broken, to be hope to the hopeless. To shine a light in the midst of darkness. See, servanthood can take on so many forms. My question is, what is God calling you to do? Right now, there are some of you in this house. There's some of you in this room. There's some of you that are watching online right now. And that God has just dropped something in your heart. He says, you need to do this. Rod Loy, the pastor of church in Little Rock, Arkansas, made this statement. It says, many times we are quick, to excuse, or quick with excuses when we sense God nudging us. Anybody guilty, don't raise your hand. We're so quick to come up with excuses. This is why I can't do that. I don't, I don't, I don't speak very well, Moses. I'm just not as smart as everyone around me. What if they ask a question I don't have the answer to? Well, they're just going to tell me that I'm a, a mess up also. They're going to point out all my flaws. I don't have time. My schedule's too full. I've got too much going on. We're so quick to come up with excuses when God begins to nudge us. Some of you right now in this moment have already come up with excuses why this message does not apply to you. Can I just be really frank with you? The only way this message does not apply to you is if you're not a Christian. Did you hear that? I thought maybe the mic dropped out because I got like two responses by people up close. The only way that this message does not apply to you is if you are not a Christian. Because Jesus says, now that you've seen these things, now that I've demonstrated it, go and do it. I want to look at four requirements for servanthood. Number one, true servanthood requires obedience. And by the way, I know I didn't finish the quote. I'll come back to it in just a minute. True servanthood requires obedience. Obedience is hard because sometimes obedience causes us to stretch. 
It takes us out of our comfort zone. It reforms us and remolds us. It puts us in a new avenue that we're not used to walking down. Oftentimes, taking us out of that which we're comfortable in and placing us where God knows that we can be of greater use for his kingdom. Obedience, by definition, is this. Compliance with an order or request. Can I just tell you, we've been given an order, or if you'd rather call it a request, you can. We've been given an order or request from Jesus. Now that you've seen these, go and do likewise. That's an order. We've been given instruction. Are you willing to be obedient? The second thing I've seen from Google.com on obedience is this, submission to another's authority. Lord, I submit to you right now. Lord, whatever you have in store, whatever you have in front of me, God, whatever you want me to do, whatever that looks like, God, I'm willing to go the journey. I'm willing to go to the extent. I'm willing to do what you've called me to do, no matter how many feet I have to wash. Lord, I'm willing to be a servant for you. Can you say, yeah, pastor, that's me? I'm willing to be that kind of servant. Has your faith and your trust in God led you to the place of complete obedience? If not, what's holding you back? What's keeping you where you are? What's keeping you from stepping out and stepping up in order to accomplish what God has planned for you? You see, James chapter 1 said it's not enough just to know the truth. It's not enough just to know what the Word of God says. You must begin to put it into action. We must be obedient. Let's go back to our quote. Rod Loy says, Many times we are quick with excuses when we sense God nudging us, which is why I believe we need to make a commitment to immediate obedience. He says, now is the time to act. Not tomorrow, not next week, not two weeks from now, not next month, but now is the time. If you claim to be a Christian, now is the time to act. Paul is very clear as he's writing to the church in Rome that every believer, that every Christian, it's vital that we not get comfortable in what we're doing. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 12, never be lazy. Look at your neighbor, say never be lazy. But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. In fact, let's read this together. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve your... Let's try that one more time because I couldn't hear you over myself. Don't be lazy now. Here we go. Ready? Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. I truly believe that if Paul were talking to us today, if he was our guest speaker and I invited him up here, he would say, don't get comfortable in just attending church. But step out into the arena that God has placed before you. Amongst our church walls, that arena could be being a greeter, 
greeting people. I, I'm told that an individual, a guest, will make a decision on whether they will return to the church within the first seven seconds of entering the doors. That means before they even hear Pastor Andy's beautiful voice, you're welcome. Before they even have a chance to hear me mumble on about something, they've already made up their mind whether they're going to return or not. Can I just tell you, the most important position in the church are the door greeters. I should have heard a lot more because there's several door greeters in here. I think you guys got, kind of got scared on that. You're like, huh? You have seven seconds. It all rests on your shoulders. No pressure. No pressure at all. Now, here's the deal, folks. If we're doing what God has called us to do, God's going to take care of it all. So maybe for you, maybe that arena is greeting at the doors. Maybe it's, it's working the sound or the AV. Maybe it's being a life group host. Maybe it's part of the worship team, working our kids' ministry or our youth ministry or an usher or wherever it happens to be. Whatever that is, that's God's arena for your life. But Paul challenges us, don't just show up and do a job, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. After all, true servanthood requires obedience. The second thing is true servanthood requires a right heart. I'll tell you one of the biggest prayers that I pray is God creating me a clean heart. Lord, renew a right spirit in me. God, help me just to exude you. Lord, help the things that I say and the thoughts that I have and the actions that I take. Lord, help them to be portrayed in you. Lord, give me a right heart. Think about this. Every one of us have motives, right? Those who do nothing are motivated to do what? Nothing. Those that are active are motivated to be active. Those that love are motivated to? Those that, well, we'll go on. Every one of us has a driving force. What is that driving force in your life? What stops you from serving in the way that God has called you to serve? You see, motives are what push us to do things. They're what drive us to accomplish things. They're what provide our willingness to serve motives become our priorities we need pure motives why because god already knows he knows what's driving you to do what you do in the book of proverbs chapter 16 it says this people may be pure in their own minds but the lord examines their motives commit your actions to the lord and your plans will succeed Lord, creating me a clean heart. Lord, renew a right spirit in me. Lord, help me, Lord, to have the motives that drive me to do what you called me to do. You see, our plans should never be aimed to serve ourselves, nor should our priorities ever be aimed to serve ourselves. They should be focused to do God's service, to do God's will. His will is to take care of others. His will is to love our neighbors. His will is to step outside of our comfort zone and give ourselves for those around us. He knows our hearts. He knows our motivation. He knows our priorities. And I ask you today, what's your heart look like? What do your priorities look like? 
Number three, true servanthood requires love. Now remember, the Jewish people in in Jesus' day were all about the law. What did they need to do or not do in order to stay in right standing with God? In fact, one day they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? And his response may surprise some of you. He said, it's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. Love God and love people. In its simplest form, servanthood is nothing more than love in action. It's loving God, loving Him so much that you're willing to do whatever you can to assist or help or encourage or mold or shape or rescue that person around you. How can love God and love people be the greatest commandments? Because if you love God first and foremost then you're really going to love people. And you're going to want to do what pleases Him, and everything else is going to fall into place. That's the key, folks. It's not a number of this or that, or accomplish this or accomplish that, or do this or don't do that. Man, I remember those days growing up in a legalistic environment. I remember what that's like. Praise God, He set us free. And He says, would you love me? And in response, would you love people? Are you willing to serve those around you? John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not how many Bibles you have in your house. Not how many times a month you go to church. Not, oh, you have the Bethel Assembly t-shirts. put a yard sign in my yard no your love for one another true servanthood requires love your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples jesus in response to the disciples' earlier argument on who was the greatest he demonstrated the heart of a servant By taking off the outer garment, putting on the towel, picking up the basin of water, and beginning to wash their feet. To break through all of the nonsense that was going on in their minds of the upcoming crucifixion and the persecution. Jesus needed to get their attention. Washing the feet of those that were inferior in status to Jesus. It not only grabbed their attention, but it taught them that the focus was not to obtain a position of power and authority, but to humbly serve and to love one another. That's what he's calling us to do. Can you imagine with me today what would happen to our culture? What would happen to our society? Let's make it smaller. What would happen to our community? If the church would truly begin to respond and be who God's called us to be. I challenge you today, grab a hold of what it means to be a servant. Begin to move forward, not just here at Bethel Assembly, but what about when you're on the job? What about when you're at the store or talking to your neighbors? Can you imagine with me how great the impact would be 
if the church would no longer respond like the world, but respond like Jesus. I venture to say that if any of us were in that room and we were in charge of that meal, there'd be very few Christians today that would have said, you know what? No one's washed our feet. I think I'll do it. Many, many years ago, I was on staff at a church and we're getting ready for a big event and the sanctuary was kind of in disarray. Several things happened in there and needed to be cleaned up and we were trying to get some individuals that were standing around. Hey, help us out real quick. Let's get this thing cleaned up. And one of the ladies in the crowd said, isn't that the job of the cleaning service? We've missed the point. We've missed the point. Love God. Love people. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. How often do we do just that? We respond like the world would respond. Isn't that so-and-so's job? Isn't that what we paid them for? Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God transform you. It's time for the church. More specifically, it's time for the Christian to stop behaving like the world. It's time for us to begin to respond as God would have us to respond. It's time for the church. And by the way, when I say church, I'm not talking this building because this isn't really the church. The New Testament says that we are the temple. We are the church. You are the church. Everywhere you go, you take the church with you. We're called to allow God to transform us, to renew us into a new person. And finally, this morning, requirement number four, true servanthood requires action. Now that you have seen me do this, go. That's action, right? Go. Go and do likewise. Go and do as I've demonstrated for you to do. Next Sunday, we are going to have such an opportunity to go and do. We're going to move out of our comfort zone. We're stepping into the community. We're stepping into the public high school. Unfamiliar ground for many. It's going to cause us to stretch. It's going to give us opportunities to show love to a lost and dying world. In fact, it gives us a moment to show the love of Jesus. God has called us to serve. I would encourage you, make yourself available. But don't let it stop with just one Sunday. Because God's called us to be a servant for life. Just as he demonstrated the action of servanthood, we likewise are called to pick up the basin of water and begin to serve those around us. Maybe you've been attending Bethel Assembly for quite some time. Maybe you were here at the onset when it was started in the basement of a home. Maybe you've been here for the last four or five years. Maybe you've only been here for a couple of weeks. I want to encourage you, get involved. Get plugged in. 
begin to serve. Our desire is to empower you. Our mission, love, reach, and empower people of all cultures for Jesus Christ. I want to empower you. We want to empower you to serve in the area that God has created for you to serve. But service, as I've stated earlier, is not limited to Sunday mornings. We're called to serve beyond these walls. John 13, as we read a moment ago, says that God will bless us as we do what he's called us to do. I love this quote by Pastor Rick Warren. He says, a non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. I completely agree with this statement. Jesus made it very clear time and time again that he came not to be served, but to serve. And likewise, we are to do the same. So what are some action steps? Four quick action steps. Number one, sign up. Get signed up. How do I do that, Pastor? You've got that little sign-up sheet. If there's not something on there, write it on there. Put your name on there. Turn that in. Go back to the connect point in the lobby. Tell them, hey, I want to get plugged in. I want to be involved. I want to do. Tell us where. By the way, we, we're not just filling holes. Our desire, you can ask anybody that's ever asked me about plugging in ministry, my first response to you is, what's your passion? What do you love to do? See, there's some people that love to rock babies. There's some people that just really don't like babies. Right? We want to put you where the passion is because God has created that passion in you for a reason, for a purpose. But I encourage you, get signed up today. Number two, look for opportunities. Man, I love the heart of this young adult when he walked up to me a couple weeks ago because Pastor Andy and I have been talking for probably almost a year now. Man, we want to do something with servanthood. I'm not really sure what that's going to look like. How are we going to accomplish this? The young adult walks up and says, God's laid upon my heart to reach people. Man, look for opportunities. Number three, make yourself available. Well, I'm just too busy. Make yourself available. There's not a disclaimer. Jesus doesn't say, now that you've seen me do this, if it fits in your schedule, then do likewise. No, he just point blank says, do it. Make yourself available. And finally, number four, begin to serve. Are you ready today? Jesus didn't say that you don't need to do anything but show up. What he did say, it's time to get up 